This is the Lakin Chronicles Road to Recovery podcast with addiction recovery specialist, Dr. Greg Lakin. Real people, real stories, real addiction, and real recovery journeys. The Road to Recovery starts now. All right, another episode. Hey, I have a gentleman here, and I'm really excited about it. Kelsey, Kelsey decided once again that um, for no other purpose than to help people hear your story and, and maybe inspire them or educate them. Um, to get treatment if they need it or let them know that, that it can be done. And, and so thank you for showing up and telling us your story. Appreciate you having me. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess let's just get to the very beginning of, of when drugs entered your life and, and uh, how it progressed. Well, I was about 18, or actually I was 19. I had uh, just graduated high school. And, uh, you know, I grew up riding my bike, and I was just out goofing around on my bike and ended up having a pretty bad accident. And, Fractured my skull and broke my collarbone in a couple places, and uh, that's kind of where it started from there. And uh, you know, I used it, used pills just because you know the pain and whatnot. And then it just became afterwards that your pain dwindles, but you think it's still there. It feels like phantom pain or whatever the case is, and it just became something that I used. And then after that, um, it didn't really. You know, I, I dealt with the pain from the shoulder, and I never really got healed. And about a year after that, I got, I had another surgery uh, on my shoulder. They're going to re-break it and plate it because they didn't do that in the beginning. So during, I guess during the meantime, I off and on used. I knew people had them, or I'd right. take them from mom and dad. And these are just like little cabinet. Percocets, yeah, just, tabs. Yeah, just little lower tabs. I got prescribed lower tabs, I think it was. <coughs> or I first... Got prescribed Percocets, and I think my mom told me that I got sick on them. I don't quite remember, but I think it was a lot from the head injury as well. Um, but during that time, you know, I had friends. We used them. It was a little, you know, here and there. It wasn't an everyday thing. And then probably not until, um, well, I was trying to get into the military, and uh, me and three friends of mine, we all decided to go and join together. Well, they all got in and I got disqualified because of a head injury. So for three years, I had to wait. I had to run several different tests. I had to get, you know, different CAT scans. I had to have EKG. I had to have um, an MRI. I, I mean, there were several tests that came out of my pocket just so I could get in the military. And it's something I really wanted to do, but during that time, it's kind of depressing, you know. They all left. I was there by myself, no friends, no nothing. So it's I think small it, town, small town, yeah. you know, and uh, it just just progressed from there, and you know, using every day, I would say, or every day that I could get it, and I wouldn't really. And your drug of choice was pretty opiates, much opioids, yeah, pretty much could, yeah. any pills that I could get a hold of, mainly opiates, you know, and if I could find a muscle relaxer too, on top of that, I would. You know, it got to the point where I ended up, well, I, I want to say it got pretty bad up until the point where I finally got accepted to go into the military and I was going, I was like, well, this is great. You know, I'll use it as, I'll get clean. I didn't, well, I, I didn't think of it as get clean. I didn't think I had a problem. Let's right. say it that way. So I joined the military. I go to boot camp for two months and then I go to uh, a school in Pensacola, Florida for, I want to say I was down there for eight months. And during that time, you know, just typical 21-year-old mm -hmm. stuff, drinking, they had a bar on base. I never really 
had an issue with alcohol, but it was something to do, right. you know, between the time waiting to get into class because I was on hold for six months and then class was two months. So I did that, got out, and then it was actually interesting because when I was, me and my, <coughs> my wife now, we weren't married then, mm-hmm. and uh, she had uh, planned our wedding, and I was supposed to be home a couple weeks before, and I ended up not making it because our class got pushed back another week. So we were getting married on Sunday. Uh, I had to pass a test on Friday, and if I didn't pass the test, I would have to wait till Monday to retake it. Okay. So if I didn't pass the test, I was going to mm-hmm. miss my wedding. So I didn't want to do that, so I was pretty good at what I did. So I took the test, passed it. I left there Friday night, got home Saturday, surprised her, and we got married on Sunday. So then, you know... Uh, my duty station was in uh, Tinker Air Force Base in Oklahoma, even though I was in the Navy. Mm-hmm. So the plane I worked on was a modified Boeing 707. And, uh, you know, then I still I hadn't used that whole time that I was in school or in boot camp or anything like that. But as soon as I got down or got back home for my two weeks before I went down to Tinker, mm-hmm. I used I was high on my wedding. I mean, it's... Right. Just one of those things. It was what I did. I didn't think it was an issue, and mm-hmm. it's you know interesting to look back now and see that. No, I no idea why I did any of that, you know. But I get down there, everything's going good, you know. I, I really excel at my job. I was pretty good. I was wanting to make a career, but you know, on the weekends I would use pills, and uh, but on that Sunday I would clean out, make sure I was clean, you know. That way I didn't, because there was random drug tests all the time, and, and it's it's kind of sad because you know I really I really enjoyed it and I want to make a career, but I didn't realize the hold that drugs had on me at that mm-hmm. time. And you know I did my four years, and as I was getting out, or I decided to get out, and I didn't think I used the excuse that my wife was driving back and forth to Oklahoma on the weekends. Right because she still lived in Kansas because she couldn't find a job that paid the amount that she made up here because of different certifications and stuff that they have down there. So I use that as an excuse that she was driving down with my one-year-old son, so I got out. Well, it turns out... You, you know, spent your four years in there, and then you yeah. you were you thought you had it figured out, and maybe, maybe you did for a period of time where you just took them on the weekend. Right. You know? But every weekend, pretty much. Uh, pretty much every weekend. Yeah. And and then, if, you know, on times that I was on vacation or whatever, I would use the entire time, except for mm-hmm. the last couple of days where I would, you know, flush my system out. And there was a couple of close calls that I thought I had, and by the grace of God or whoever, or my own dumb luck, I made it, and I didn't get caught or didn't do anything like that. And it's pretty, it's pretty sad because... You know, I, like I said, I really enjoyed it and I really, you know, excelled at it, but I didn't realize what could have came of it. You know, I, I understood that I would have, I would have been caught, I would have been kicked out, it would have been done, it would have been over with. I would have kind of been a disgrace in my own view at that time. Because yeah, you're second generation. Yeah. Navy, yeah. Actually, probably third. My, third my grandfather was in the... Yeah. Navy. <clears throat> Thank you for your service, by the way. I mean, yeah, yeah, appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I get out, and you know, I'm 
wouldn't say I use every day, but I'd use mostly every day that I could. You know, I got a job right away. That wasn't an issue. And then one of the biggest things that happened was my son, he was still a year old, but my wife got sick with Crohn's disease. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty rough. She was in the hospital quite a bit. Um, she's almost died on a couple occasions. And that was a real big trigger for me. And that's when it really started to excel down mm-hmm. into a really bad place, you know, because trying to deal with her in the hospital, dealing with a one-year-old son and two and three at whatever time it was. Right. You know, she's in the hospital for several weeks at a time, can't work, so I'm trying to juggle work, kid, home, everything to that. So it's just, you know, it was this vicious cycle that the pills just helped with that. At that time, they helped with that, you know. At least it helps with all the stress you thought. But you went from doing... How many pills a day to, I mean, like you said, it, it just became much, much more of a problem. Right. At that time, you know, it was two, three, four, five pills a day to, you know, at its worst, 20, 30, upwards of more pills a day, you know. Yeah. And her, like I said, her being in the hospital just made it even worse. And then, you know, at that time, all right, well, I was working in Wichita. Well, I decided to leave that job because I was... You know, staying up late at night and being late to work, you know, jobs don't like you being late. So I decided to come work here in El Dorado. I figured that would help. Mm-hmm. Um, so I come back. I get a decent job in El Dorado. Well, again, you know, that vicious cycle, being up late at night and being late to work, I got fired. So it's like, all right, well, the only job at the time was a traveling job. I was like, well, this is awesome. You know, I knew I had an issue. Mm-hmm. But I didn't realize how bad of an issue it was. I was like, well, I'll use this time to get clean. You know, I'll travel. I won't have any access. I won't know anybody. And, you know, the first time I was gone, I was gone, you know, 27 days, I believe. And I was clean the entire time. It wasn't an issue. But the day I got back, Mm -hmm. in my mind, I just, I bought more than I used. And Mm -hmm. I don't know why. You know, you figured you make it past the sickness, you make it past all that because I had to. But in my mind, I wasn't ready to get clean. I just, it wasn't ready. So that went on for a little while. I'd be home for a couple weeks and then I'd travel again for 10 days, 20 days, never more than 30. Well, I ended up uh, getting my wife pregnant during that time when I was traveling. So we were getting ready to have my daughter. So I stayed at that job until almost to her time she was born, and I got another job to where I stayed home. And uh, so then, you know, the wife, she's pregnant. Um, I have a different job, and uh, she she's getting ready to have the baby. And, you know, this, this go-around, I want to make it good. Well, with her disease and everything, mm-hmm. the pregnancy wasn't that great. You know, she did – she's having – I wouldn't say a tough time, but she didn't gain much weight just because of the way it is. And when she had our daughter, it was rough on her. She had our daughter, and a week later, she was in the hospital again. So it was just, you know, another thing. I have a brand-new baby. I have a five-year-old son at this time. And now I have an addiction on top of that, and it just it gets worse. You know, you know, the more you use, the more your tolerance builds up. And so you're spending upwards of two three hundred dollars a day just trying to survive and then on top of that home life work life well um and young males they get a tolerance really fast and also 
I noticed males don't like to ask for help. At no. Least not until things get really bad. No, I didn't. Yeah. I knew I needed help. Mm-hmm. I wanted help. But I was scared of the stigma of, you know, being a drug addict. I never thought of myself as a drug addict. I always thought of myself of being addicted, but I didn't want to be, you know, a drug addict. I didn't want to be... I, I didn't think I was as bad as the people I've seen on TV. I used to watch Intervention thinking, oh, man, I wish I could get the help they are, you know, but I don't want to ask for it. And at times I complicate or contemplated calling that number to see, mm-hmm. you know, what to do, but I never did. And, you know, it's I was scared. I didn't want to be labeled as a drug addict because I figured it would hurt me. And even though I was hurting myself at the time, and it... So you just figured you were going to be almost like a functional drug addict, even though I've never... I met people that can pull it off for a while, but it always spins out of control eventually. Yeah, I would say I kept it in control for about eight years, Mm -hmm. maybe nine, and then it just slowly started being a problem. Losing good jobs, you know, pissing away money that we didn't have, you know, trying... And I guess the point to where it came to was I finally broke down and told my wife that I needed help. I mean, she knew about it the entire time. Sure. She wanted me to get help. And I finally broke down and told her, I was like, look, I don't know what to do. What do we do? And we talked about it. And the first thing we decided was to tell my parents about it. And that was a pretty difficult decision, but or difficult choice and hard to do. But it ended up being the greatest thing that I could ever do, you know. Mm-hmm. Even though at first it wasn't, because I came out and I told him, my mom, she understood. My dad, you know, he's the type of guy at the time, well, why can't you just quit? Why just just quit, be done? And I was like, well, I'd be fine, but, you know, it, it's not like that, you know. it's You don't want to be sick, you don't want to do this. So, I finally, I told them, and they decided they were going to help me by, you know, helping me wean down. Like, I had them talked into it and this is you know the attic brain while well, i can con them into doing this right so i'm talked into helping me wean down so they would control the pills mm-hmm. and um they would give them to me whenever i needed them or and then we'd stair step down and try to and these are the pills you're buying off the streets yes. really. yeah or prescriptions they had or something along those lines you know it right. was different things and at this time i still had a job um but I was using every dollar we had, you know, to buy pills off the street. And even when they were helping me, I would go behind their back and I would buy pills. So it wasn't working like they thought, you know, they thought everything was good because I wasn't telling them the truth. I wasn't being honest about it. And uh, finally, my we're having, of course, financial issues mm-hmm. and uh, we we're going to lose our house. So we decided we we're going to sell our house. Well, we ended up figuring out that if we tried to sell our house, we'd lose money. And we didn't want to lose money, so we decided to rent it out. And when we rented it out, we rented it to somebody we knew, so that way at least it would be covered. And we ended up moving back in my parents' house. So my parents, me and my wife and my two kids were living in my parents' house. You know, they're trying to help me come off the pills. They're trying to do all this stuff to help me and... They, uh, during that time, they also talked me into quitting my job because I was lying to them, telling them that, you know, work wasn't paying me or they cut my check or he didn't do this. But really, I was just cashing the check and going to buy drugs. Right. 
So finally, when uh, it got to the point where I didn't have a job, well, didn't have access to any money, wife took me off all the accounts, you know, anything. Well, in your desperate nature, what are you going to do? You know, you're going to find anything and everything you can to get what you need. So I decided I practiced my mother's signature, mm-hmm. and I took her checks, and I wrote checks. You know, that first one, I, I knew I was going to get caught, but I didn't care. I did it anyways. I practiced her signature key. You know, I didn't, it wasn't $500,000. It was $150. Took it up there, cashed it. It worked. Yeah. Like, man, I was shaking when I come out of there, but I had it. I got what I needed and I felt good. And I was like, man, you know, when you feel good, you tell yourself anything. Mm-hmm. And oh, man, I was never going to do that again. You know, I, it was terrible. I can't believe I did that. It's not in my nature to do anything like that. Well, next day comes around, I don't have what I need, I'm sick, you know, that desperation comes in again, and I was like, well, just one more time, I'll do it one more time. Well, I ended up doing that, I want to say five or six times, and I, I guess then the bank, or my dad tried to pay a bill or something, and the bank realized he didn't have any money, so he's like, well, that can't be true, they're like, yeah, you got all these checks, he's like, what checks? Mm-hmm. So they sent him a print of all the checks that I had on in there cash for all the cash. He's like, well, he knew right away that that wasn't my mom's signature mm-hmm. and that she wouldn't have wrote all those checks because of everything that was going on. Isn't that amazing? I mean, the addict brain is just worried about the next six hours or the next day and nothing's thought out beyond that. Mm-hmm. And you were able to be functioning just with that kind of attitude of yeah. just living literally to get through the day. But... And because of worth that work ethic, you have a good work ethic and good skill set, you were able to pull it off for a long period of time, but still yeah. had nothing to show for it. Not at all. You know, I felt broken and alone and definitely, you know, scared. And when he finally got those checks, he told my mother he's just going to have me arrested and thrown in jail. Mm-hmm. And my mother came to me crying and, you know, begging me to get help and I knew I needed help, and I finally, I didn't, like I told you, I didn't want to go to rehab because I didn't want that stigma. Well, that night, I finally broke down, and I found a rehab, uh, Valley Hope, up in uh, Mound Ridge, and they told me I could come the next day. Well, I hadn't even told my wife. I didn't discuss with her anything. I just, I made the plan. I took it. I told them I'd be there tomorrow, and then uh, I told my wife that night when she got home to work. I said, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm going to rehab tomorrow. She's like, what? What, what are you doing? I said, i got to go. I don't know what else to do. And of course, she knew that it was time because mm-hmm. she basically told me if we didn't do anything that she was leaving me and taking the kids. And At that time, I didn't believe her or anything like that, but I think she's pretty serious and uh, finally made that help or made that choice and, you know, woke up the next day and went to rehab. Well done. Yeah. No, you pushed everything and everybody to about... The limit. Uh, um, yeah, I would say so. I guess you got to get uncomfortable enough to actually make a, a decision, and, and you did. So how was how was Valley Hope? Valley Hope was uh, a lifesaver. Um, they definitely saved my life, you know, with the help of myself. But they helped me, you know, get past those that first week. And once you get past that, you know, you're it's up to you to make the change. And so when I was there, I can't remember the exact quote, but it was getting, getting out of your comfort zone. And, you know, 
the type of person I used to be wouldn't talk in front of people. I wouldn't be sitting here with you today talking. I don't like talking in front of people. I don't like talking in front of groups. Mm-hmm. So I, I made the decision while I was there. I was like, well, I got to try something new, you know, because what I'm doing is not working. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, so I decided to, every time they needed a volunteer to read, I would get up and do that. Or every time they needed somebody to get in front and talk, I would do that. You know, I decided to do something different because, like I said, what I was doing wasn't working. So getting out of my comfort zone and doing something different really changed. You know, they gave me the tools and they gave me the techniques to do it, but it was up to me to make the change. Yeah, nobody said it was going to be easy, but you were willing now to make a sacrifice to... To, like you said, be uncomfortable because you wanted him out enough. Plus, I like the fact that you took ownership. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you, were, you weren't playing the victim role. You weren't acting like it was everybody's fault or trying to hang your hat on whatever, you know, life stresses to not get help. Right. So, Yeah, because it wasn't anybody's fault but my own. You know, I didn't, I didn't force anybody to, you know, mm-hmm. give me pills or you know, or anything like that. It was my own doing. And I wanted to do it for myself so I could be a better father to my kids and a better husband. I was never, you know, abusive, but, you know, when you're dope sick, you're angry. Nobody wants to be around you. I wasn't the greatest father. I mean, hell, when I was high, I was a pretty good father, but that was few and far between times, you know. Right. I I never neglected my kids or anything like that, but I wasn't there the way they needed me to be during their you know developmental years or anything like that so i wanted to be that you know and when i went to treatment my son asked me why are you here you know and he was too young to really understand so i told him i was going to a place to be to become a better father so he definitely and it's kind of really eye-opening and kind of an amazing deal but i don't know it was probably Two months out of treatment, my son told me he liked the way I was now, you know, that I was now versus the way I used to be. And that, you know, hit me pretty hard, you know, yeah. it's kind of, it's kind of difficult, especially when they're so young and you realize you hadn't been there and the things that you had done. And it's, it's just, it sucks because you got to, you got to reap what you sow, you know, you did it. So you got to make up for it. So that's, I mean, one of the things that I made in my deal, you know, every thing you do or action you have, you know, there's consequences to everything. And that's one thing about getting clean. Yeah. Well, that's great. When you're in treatment, that's fine. You know, everything you're on that, what they call the pink cloud, Mm -hmm. you get out. Well, then life really hits you. You know, you got to make up for everything that you did, you know, all the money you lost, all the time you lost, you know, so trying to do those is, it's not easy, but it's worth it. And it's definitely, yeah, I mean, it's just definitely worth it, so. Well, good, so you made up for some lost time, at least, like you said, you couldn't be the father you wanted to be because half the time you didn't feel good, or you had something else on your mind, like the constant chase, but then, you do what you had to do, which is get yourself away from all the triggers and all the, and you did it. So, yeah, yeah what is life on the other side? Well, you know, life on the other side is, uh, I would say, the best time ever because really, you know, you finally have money in your pocket, even though you're still paying back all the money you owe. Mm-hmm. You know, I finally can get up and get to work on time and all that. 
Um, you know, I don't have to take anything to play with my kids or, you know, take them to the park or tell them, you know, oh, not, not right now, daddy doesn't feel good. You know, it's, it's just an amazing feeling being able to wake up and not worry about feeling good or what you're going to do to get what you need to survive that day. You know, having a good job, you know, being the husband you need to be, it, it's, it's definitely, like I said, not easy, but it's well worth it. So, you know, you can be a better father. It's, um, yeah, like, I don't know. Good. No, I mean your your kids are how old? You're born, they're growing. Uh, nine years old and five. My son's nine. My daughter's five. Yeah. No, you're you're there for them now. That's that's wonderful, and that's that's really when they need you most anyway. You know, so there's. Um, so what what does your life look like now? I mean, you you got a steady job. You're saving money. You've got a good skill set. You know. Um, is there anything you do to make sure you stay sober and stay strong? Yeah, I mean, I do. I, when I first got out of treatment, I decided I was going to do the 90 and 90, you know, 90, meeting, 90 meetings in 90 days. And I think I made it to like 45, but then life kind of caught up with me. And it's kind of hard to make it to a meeting every day when you have a family and, mm-hmm. you know, you got to take care of or work or anything like that. So I still I still try to go to meetings as much as I can. I mean, during this coronavirus right now, it's All right. I've been to a couple, but I haven't been to as many as I would like to be. Again, it's just hard to find the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what life on the other side? Um, really, the financial issues. It's it's good having money, but I still it's not as easy because I still struggle. I guess my new addiction when I got out and got clean was I had money in my pocket, so I was, you know, I'm going to buy something. Well, then it became an addiction to spending money. Right. I mean, I didn't blow all the money I had, but I would blow all the money I had at the time that I could get away with. I still paid my bills. I still did all that, but any, for any extra money, no. Nah, mm-hmm. Stuff that I wanted or been putting off for a long time, I bought. And... Even five years later, being clean five years, or going on five years, I still struggle with that. I mean, the addictive personality is still there. It'll never go away. But I, I try to find ways to not do that. You know, remind myself that it'd be nice to pay these bills off versus going to buy the new whatever it is that day. Mm-hmm. So it's, I don't yeah. think it really ever goes away. I, I mean, I know it won't. I still you know, think about using, but not, I wouldn't say think about using. I still, from time to time, find triggers that would, you know, why I used or think of, you know, fun times at the deal, but you also got to remember of the really bad times that you had or anything like that. So that always keeps me in check. You know, I don't want to go back to that dark place that I was in. I would never say I was suicidal, but I didn't care if I died or not. You know, it's one of those deals. If this truck crosses a line and hits me, I'd be okay with that. Everybody would be better off without me. But it's definitely not a struggle, but it's still something that I have to keep in check or else it'll go the other way real quick. So So did you notice something with your mindset? I mean, once drugs are out of your system for a longer period of time, did you notice 
with regard to anxiety or depression or helplessness or I mean it seems like people have to dry out to, to realize they're back in control and they, they you know your mind has to stabilize before you are are thinking you know higher level thinking stuff like the future and have hope and can love again and those kind of things do you think those I mean do you feel different in that respect or oh yeah I want to say probably the first year you know out of treatment my anxiety was really high mm-hmm. and I tried different you know SSRIs but mm-hmm. uh, they would give me real bad headaches okay. so I had to find ways of dealing with my you know my anxiety and I really wouldn't say I was depressed during that time it was mainly anxiety mm-hmm. and I think it was just more of finding ways to cope with everyday life mm-hmm. to where used to I would you know pop pills and nothing would bother me but then you know you got to face everything head on just everyday struggles so the first year was pretty rough but then I don't know I think just finding different things that work for me between meditation or going to meetings or talking to other people about it really helped and I really enjoyed helping other people when it come to you know sobriety or addiction or anything like that and but you got to be careful with that because it can also turn around and bite you because you feel you know I sponsored somebody at one time I think I had three years clean and you know he turns around and he relapses and it was all my fault you know the plan we had set in place we tried to follow that plan and it became you know he didn't it was all mine why did you do that you did this and it just makes you it's you got to realize, you know, he, he just wasn't ready at that time, but that can really hurt your own sobriety if you're not careful. And so I, I kind of stepped back from that. I didn't think I was ready. I thought it was too early. So I still, you know, with the meetings, I really enjoy doing, you know, talking to people at meetings. They're not going to get better while they're in that mindset that they're the victim or that it's somebody else's fault. But how convenient is that to blame the other people? Right. Then you don't have to work on anything then it's never, you don't have to take ownership of anything. Um, so, no, your mindset certainly helps you. And then, like you said, the anxiety slowly starts to go away because you get out of being in crisis mode mm-hmm. all the time, you know, because when you're in crisis mode all the time, everything seems like, you know, like a, it's amplified, you know, the, the suicide for, sure. for death, even though it's not. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because, you know, I mean, still to this day, I still have anxiety but I can recognize them mm-hmm. and then address them at that point, you know, with whatever I need to do, you know, stop myself and, you know, think or stop what I'm doing at that time and find something else to yeah. calm me down and to take a break just to realize that I can't control everything. You know, I used to want to control everything. I was a control freak, you know, I had to do yeah. this. And that's, you know, that vicious cycle when my wife was sick, I had to control everything. Right. You know, control her being sick, you know, the stuff at home, the kids, work, it was all about control. I used to, used to cuss God because I didn't know, you know, I figured, why would you do this? Why would you do this to her? Why would you do this to me? But now it's easy to step back and realize that I can't control everything. You know, it's just, life's going to go on whether you're okay with it or not, and you're going to have to find ways to deal with it. So it's still an issue, but it's manageable. Mm-hmm. And then you just got to find ways to help yourself manage it because what worked for you is not going to work for me. So True. And that's just like that serenity prayer they talk about. Yep. Yeah. You got to let go of all the stuff you can't control. And I do see a lot of people 
like you that that are very type A, they will kick butt at whatever job they do, you know, but yeah, they try to control too much perhaps right. and and uh, just can't do it. So Yeah, because in school, you know, I wasn't I wasn't a good student. Nothing mm-hmm. interested me. You know, math wasn't interesting. Science was, you know, if it's something that I liked at that time or subject that I like. But as soon as I got out of school, you know, and joined the military, everything that I did was, you know, what I wanted to do. So I really excelled at it. And uh, I mean, I haven't officially been diagnosed with ADHD, but I had a doctor at one time told me my son is. And she said, well, I knew he would be because you are. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, OK. And I think that has a lot to do because, you know, anything that doesn't interest me, I don't want anything to do with. But stuff that does, I can focus on and really hammer down and excel at. And I'm not the greatest in anything, but I strive to be better than I was before. So, you know, that's the first element for improvement, you know, is just awareness and motivation to to be better. So, and then I appreciate the fact that you've taken it to the next level and and they're out there helping others and telling your story for the sole purpose of sharing your experience and and uh, any other last tidbits of knowledge that uh, you know you've already told people that, that it's worth it on the other side it's not necessarily easy and you've got to get uncomfortable mm, you but, definitely got to do that yeah. just just know that it may not be easy but it's definitely worth it you know just let things come to you as they will naturally you know it's going to take time everything's not going to happen right away um like i said five years in i still deal with issues financial issues everything like that yeah granted i still have money in my pocket but there still are things that pop up i mean still to this day there's things in my past that pop up that i gotta address and five years later there's still you know, I still figure things out that I did because of my addiction that I have to face, you know, at that time. And it's, like I said, it's worth it if you want it. If you don't want it, then you're going to continue to do what you want. But I tell you, it is worth it. And you'll definitely thank yourself and nobody else for getting clean and sober. So. Well, wonderful. Wise words. Thank you, Kelsey, so much for helping and and telling your story. I appreciate it. Thank you. Dr. Lakin is a board-certified family medicine doctor with an emphasis in addiction medicine and over 25 years of experience. For addiction recovery services in the Wichita area, please visit www.centerforchangeks.com or visit samhsa.gov for a national directory of resources and recovery centers in your area. You can also find these links in the podcast description. Thank you for listening to the Lakin Chronicles Road to Recovery podcast. And remember, you've got this.